It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. The founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey everyone, welcome to Talent Talk. It's Tuesday, it's 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So that means we are live, we are talking about talent. And of course, we have two awesome guests lined up for you uh, to talk about, you know, what's going on with them, what we should be thinking about, culture, talent, uh, everything about uh, what we're going to get into, what they're, what they're really, really, their expertise lies around here in a minute. But like we did a couple weeks ago, we actually... Uh, so the normal format is we have a guest on, we take a break, we have another guest on, we end the show. But a couple of weeks ago, we had a little fun and had two people on at the same time, you might remember. And we liked that format so much, we went and said, well, let's do that again. So uh, just to keep things uh, fresh, or maybe just because I get bored, we decided to do that again. So maybe we'll kind of uh, see how the format goes. If we need to take one or maybe two little breaks, uh, we'll figure that out with our producer, Paul, as we fly along here. Don't forget to go to talenttalkradio.com if you want to know when the next podcast has been released, or maybe you go to iTunes, you can subscribe there. We're on Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio, wherever you find your podcasts, you can find us. So Talent Talk, uh, um, two words there, and uh, just subscribe. And then, you know, one of those little juggernauts will let you know when an episode is ready to go. And also uh, interact with us on Twitter. So at people g2 and you can also follow the hashtag talent talk my social media uh coordinator angela actually is live tweeting as we're going through this so all of the best things that we have to say she will throw onto twitter um anything stupid i say she omits so um it helps me out a lot um and usually if i mispronounce somebody's name which happens about once once a show but i'm i might be okay today i'm looking at these names thinking i might be safe we'll we'll, we'll find out inevitably i can mispronounce and so um you know so anyways follow along on twitter ask questions this is it comes in while we're live she will throw it to me and we'll ask it on the air if it's after the fact because most of you actually listen after the fact so we've got you know ten thousand downloads a day of episodes happening after they're live so you can still interact with us there still ask questions even though we're not live we, we will certainly love to keep that coordination you have or guest suggestions you may have it's fantastic all right enough uh business enough of me teasing you uh with who's coming um my guests today on the show are karen hunt hopefully see i got one no no see i, I told you it's hurt it's hurt you see it's karen hurt i did that on purpose all right i'll have to admit okay and david die uh, it's founder? actually pronounced Schwartz. No. <laughs> Schwartz. <laughs> I'm teasing. There we go. Uh, founders it. at Let's Grow Leaders and international leadership experts who have worked with the world's most prominent companies, including Amazon, Microsoft, USAA, uh, National Institutes of Health, 
we might have heard of one at least one of those if you haven't been living under a rock. So Karen and David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Awesome. Well, um, how are you both doing today? How are you holding up? I know uh, while we're taping this live, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. So I always like to check in. The first question is to ask, how are you doing today? We are doing well. We're doing remarkably well under the circumstances. So. Fantastic. So tell me a little bit about yourselves, each of you. I uh, kind of each take a, a swing at this one. You know, what's, what's important for us to know about you and the work that you're doing uh, for our conversation today? Yeah, so just a little bit about me to start. So before founding Let's Grow Leaders, I worked for Verizon for 20 years. Uh, first decade was HR, leadership development, all that kind of stuff. Second de- decade was a variety of field assignments. So I led a 22,000 team and 10,000 person customer service organization. The reason I say that is anything that we talk about is always based in reality. It's very practical tools and techniques. And as we work with companies around the world, that is the number one thing people say is, wow, I can actually go use that like today and it mm-hmm. will make a difference. And uh, so Karen and I, uh, I, my career was in human service and I was an executive in that capacity, served all different levels of leadership, helped replicate organizations around the country and developing leaders and got into the leadership development business starting at age 11 and uh, then pretty much have been in it my entire life from there. But we both started blogs to get our message out more broadly than we could do in a, you know, just one conversation at a time internally in our organizations. And over time, so we met online. It wasn't the swipe right or swipe. I mean, I would have swiped the right direction, <laughs> but it was uh, through leadership writing. And I came across an article that I thought I had written in a human resource magazine that I said, I don't recall submitting that. And I got to the byline and it was Karen. And the final sentence was just a little bit different flavor than what I would have said. But uh, I called her and said, my goodness, we are so aligned in our leadership. We should collaborate on something at some point. Well. A couple of years go by, and eventually we ended up collaborating on our first book called Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. And so that was published in 2016. 16. And uh, over the course of that, we um, writing that book, we got to be very good friends. And then once the book was published, um, and Karen, I ought to give her credit, realized this first, that there might be something more than just co-authors available to us. And uh, so we- Sell in love, merge our businesses together. And, and today, this very day, right now, we are celebrating our anniversary. So, yep. yep. So it's a fun day Fantastic. for us. Fantastic. What a great story. I love that. And you know, it's amazing what can happen uh, if you're open to about that, right? You, you run into the right person and then the right things can happen. And, uh, you know, my, I had my first book come out, The Power of Company Culture, which I did on my own. But And I said I would never write another book. And I told people, if I ever say I'm going to write another book, throw me off a bridge. And then I agreed to do a second book, but only because it was with someone who, same thing, I feel so connected to. It feels so like, you know, I can write words, she can write words, and like it's it's all together. And only only she got me to to do it. And it's been like the best experience. Unlike my first book where I felt like I was, you know, it was so hard to do every, every word was like painful coming off of my fingertips, you know, like, and with her, it's been so easy. So it's when you get the right partner, you get the right person, the right energy, right? It just feels like it's contagious, like things just happen. So sounds like that's kind of what you guys experience. Yes, yeah, definitely. And it's like any other team we're talking about leadership and talent, right? Is everybody's got the different talents and abilities that they contribute. And so, and that really 
I think that's part of it. You know, it's not just in the writing and the collaboration there, but in building a leadership development company, you know, we had, that was part of the real challenge at the beginning was, oh, because we were both solopreneurs used to doing it our way and now we're merged and we both can't do all the things. And so we had to really figure out where was the role definition and how do, Mm -hmm. where do we pull in their strengths and what do I need to stop doing? What does he need to stop doing? And that's been an evolution over the last couple of years too. So you guys kind of took that up of identifying, geez, I'm doing a lot more of this. You need to stop doing that. Let me have that, but I need you to go do more of this. So it was more intentional, you're saying? It, it was intense. It was very intentional. And, and we are now in the mode of how do we scale even further? And so we're having even all those conversations. So we've got a whole org chart built out and some of the boxes are empty. We're still putting our own names in there, but we know whose responsibility that is and which positions will continue to hire in which order. So being very strategic around that as well. So it's interesting to hear you say that, because again, I'm kind of comparing that to my experience right now with my co-author. We're both so overly uh, obtuse in certain areas with our strengths that like we just sort of do it and we don't really like, we're like, oh yeah, that's your thing. And we don't even like talk about it. Like mm-hmm. I keep her organized. I send the calendar invites. I've got the document going. I, you know what I mean? And then she, she shows up and then she knows like, cause I'm doing 50 things. She's retired. You know, she's sold her company. She'll show up and go, oh, I can see it. Okay. Go ahead. Throw up on me. So like, she'll, she'll be my therapist <laughs> for five minutes. Right. Like she knows that's her. And, but we never, so it's really fascinating to hear you say you guys kind of rule more intentional. Um, of course, her and I are not uh, married. Uh, we don't have any uh, anniversaries that way. So I think that's a little more complex. Wife, I would de- popping in, in each other's lanes. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, as workplaces are adapting uh, really to this unprecedented change, I guess maybe not complete, unprecedented in our lifetime, I should say, because right. certainly there has been major right. disruptions in other life. The, the Spanish flu, World War One, World War II. I mean, you can think of these times when the world completely went upside down and, you know, you really couldn't travel or you couldn't do what you wanted to do. We didn't have the freedom that we all had, you know, what, a year ago, let's just say. So really, with all these changes, how, do, how are you guys talking about leadership uh, for leaders right now, especially around what we just talked about, what we're thinking about right now? Yeah, so a couple of things, because we are doing this work every single day with teams that are on a fast pivot to do the best they can with what they have from where they are. And there are two things that I think really are the starting point. One is absolute connection, doing anything you can do to foster genuine human connection. People are obviously exhausted from being on, in online meetings all the time. People are carrying with them so many things. And if they're afraid to talk about those things and we're finding that what works really well with that is the the leader being vulnerable to be able to go first because this is what I'm dealing with. And when they open up like that, it's been fascinating to watch the team members come forward one mm-hmm. at a time. And after you have that conversation, it's because people exhale and then they say, okay, so what do we need to do? So that's the first thing. And then, then, and then we go to clarity. And so whether your, your people are remote or whether they're on site like they've always been, but having to you know, deal with an increased workload that's pandemic related or the stress of delivering value to clients differently. I mean, everybody's got a different story to tell. And, and yet in the middle of all of that, the need for clarity about what actually matters most and where we're going to make the biggest difference, or as we'll get into later, where we need a great idea in order to invent a new future right now, any of those things require 
clarity of thinking, your clarity as a leader, and then clarity of communication so that you can make sure your people know what's most important and how to balance all of the massive amount that they've got going on. And then the, the last thing I would say is uh, over communication is, has been so important. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're, everything you're, you're, we're seeing is it can't just be have another meeting. So yeah. we talk about how do you communicate five times, five different ways and mixing up the medium. So maybe, yeah, one is a Zoom meeting that you're having or Microsoft Teams, but another maybe that you've got an asynchronous Slack channel that's going on that people can pop in. Maybe another is that you are really upping your one-on-ones and doing those in a very strategic way and making sure that you've got a consistent cadence of those one-on-ones. And, and so I think that's another- And having fun with it too. So you've got all those traditional kind of stayed ways of communicating, but there's so much room for creativity. And so I've seen people change their, their, you know, you've got a virtual background on right now, change that to communicate a key message. One right. organization we were working with did yard signs that people were in the same city. So they had people drive around and put yard signs with some fun messages and encouraging thoughts and, and different things. There's so many different ways to go about it. Now, have you seen much with your clients sort of the need to maybe retool some of the, the teams. So a lot of the clients that I'm working with, my own organizations, I'm we saw right away, or not, I shouldn't say right away, but after a bit of time was that different people um, had different scenarios happening at their house. And because they're all working from home, right? So the single people were doing one thing, the couples were doing another thing, families were doing another thing. And then you had the multi-generational families just had no bandwidth. Um, right. They had someone to watch the kids while they were working, but everyone was on the device at the same time. And so we had to like, you know, address all their challenges differently. But for us, we found really beneficial to temporarily change our teams so that they were working with people who were working at the same time as mm -hmm. them, not necessarily in the same job, <laughs> but we used to have a lot of teams that were based on their jobs. And we went, eh, let's just stop that for a while. Let's do teams based on, I know I, I'm, I'm working with all of the other parents right now, right? My teams are full of parents and I have teams full of single and couples and which is a really weird way to like put people together. Um, but temporarily it's like when they, they all want to work when they, they're all kind of working at the same time. So it's really helpful to them not be stuck working asynchronously all the time. Right and not to have someone to bounce things off of. So have you seen any of that or how has that been working with your- Well, Chris, I'm fascinated by that. that. I'm wondering, and I will share what we're seeing, but I'm fascinated by that. Do you, do they have, these folks have interdependent goals that they're working on or is it just people to be working alongside with? Like, are they doing work together? So um, the simple answer is they do not necessarily have goals that they're working on together. They're just working together. Okay. Right. So I'm on the same time you're on. So we can say funny things and chat about things in mm -hmm. Slack. We can, we can celebrate each other's successes. We can be like we would in an office, right? I see. You might have a customer service person sit next to a salesperson and they're not doing the same work, but they're, they're work buddies. Right. And so yep. we can create that environment. And there's However, fun cross pollination there too, I would imagine. Well, and that's the other thing. So my, my company, people G2 is really, really, um, we, we push this idea of cockroach meetings and we do about 30 to 40 of these a day. And they're one problem, one issue, 15 minutes or less meeting starts on time. Meeting always ends early, you know, no other agenda items, no other we'll talk about your kids or whatever. It's, Hey, I have a problem. 
who can help me? And it's optional for whoever you invite to show up. And we get, we always have done cross-pollination that way. I don't know how to do this thing. Who can help me? Well, someone from customer service, someone from marketing, someone from sales, they all can hop in and give you their opinion. It could be, here's the, here's the solution, or it could be, we don't know, go ask Chris, go, go call this vendor, right? Here's where you can go. So I, maybe we've always done a little bit of that, but yeah. That's real. I, I love that yeah. cockroach meetings. That's really cool. <laughs> you know, I, we haven't seen as much of the just the scheduling for connection, like like what you're talking about. What we, we've seen a good bit about is two things. One is creating when are the the times that everyone must show up, right? Like mm. we're gonna work. So you can work whenever you want. It can be in the middle of the night, but between ten and twelve. That's when I need you to be online and available, you know, and, 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 and creating those windows or even creating options of windows for teams so that people know when they can be reached. Another thing that we've been seeing is companies um, putting more hard and fast sort of boundaries on when you don't work. Because the, right. the the irony of this whole pivot is that we're all working way longer and harder, right? right? Including us. You know, we just found that just with moving so fast and all these needs emerging, we're working seven days a week. And, you know, so yep. executives saying, you know what, after seven o'clock, no, everybody turn it off, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that's been a healthy coping mechanism for folks. And then I think the other thing that we've been seeing is um, very, de- in, in our leadership development programs, people being very deliberate in creating cross-functional cohorts of people who from different functions and working around the time zone that they can work in based on all the things that you're talking about, all this, mm-hmm. but but forcing the collaboration of people who would not naturally work together. And what has been really fascinating with that is all the ahas of like, oh, I have that exact same problem, right? And that is very, that's really <laughs> yeah. healing for people. And I love it when people say, you know, that's not my job now, but that used to be my job in my last company. Like I, I know this, I know you guys didn't hire me for this, but I know this, right. Or my, my brother-in-law knows this and I can get him to come in and tell us what to do, whatever. Right. I mean, there's all this, you don't get that if everyone stays in their silos. Right. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I think this pandemic has helped maybe people do that, but to your point about the overworking, we went when we went back and studied this. We found that almost exclusively, it was our single people and our couples that were overworking. Our families and our multi generational families were doing about what we expected. We were already remote. I should say that before the pandemic, so we're used to working remote. But those groups actually dipped in productivity because they had so many other people in their house. Remote work is normally all about deep time to think, being alone, no noises and distractions you know, and you get to like really get things done. And that totally changed for people right now, their spouse is right next to them. Their kids are walking in during meetings, you know, there's all this stuff going on. So we just coached the first two groups and put boundaries on them and put limits on them. And the other groups were actually fine. We didn't really have to do much, but I, I, our biggest, I'll tell you our number one problem was that our, the reason we found out this was an issue, our single and our couples were, getting upset at people for not being ready to move on to the next part of the project Mm -hmm. because they had overworked. They were so much farther along that they were dragging the rest of the organization. And it was like, you're not supposed to be dragging. They're actually working at the right pace. So Mm, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe what are some of the practical tips that you're talking about right now uh, with leaders, you know, 
in this current era, or even like things they should be thinking about as maybe things start shifting back or in hybrid or whatever? Well, you know, part of it is examining what you've learned. So we've been having this dialogue with leaders from the beginning. There's so much learning and you just, you know, highlighted a couple of those, but what, what new techniques are you using that are revealing things that we didn't tap into before, like maybe people's mm-hmm. past expertise and courageous cultures. We like to talk about that. Like you, people bring expertise and past experience. And what can we learn from that if we're cultivating and creating the opportunity to ask? What relationships are we have we built and leveraged in a different way? What opportunities does the online communication forum give us that you can't do in person? You can't have this multi-synchronous. Uh, you know, breakout rooms with a chat and, and a wipe collect. It, you can collaborate and you can do some of those things, but they're very different in person. And so there's all sorts of opportunities that have come about if we can capture that learning. So that's one of the conversations that we're having is what have you learned? And sometimes it's not just what have you started that you want to continue. Sometimes it's what did you get rid of that maybe never needs to come back? Yeah. And then, you know, one of the things that we've also been doing is, you know, what is one area you really need a great idea right now? And get asking every manager to think that. Well, just one, one area that you really need a great idea right now. And then teaching them how to go out and use some of our techniques to call out those ideas. And then one of the ways we then help them to encourage their team to present ideas in a way that's more likely to be heard is our idea model, which is, I, why is this idea interesting? Meaning, why is this strategically aligned with that one area we need a great idea? Mm. Is it de-doable? Meaning, could we actually pull this off? Or is that such, it's such a pie in the sky idea that no way out time for that right now, right? And E, is it engaging? Who else might think it's a great idea? Who else, this is your stakeholder management stuff. Who else do we need to bring in? And A, what are a couple of key actions? What would you recommend the next steps? So that if you get everybody thinking about when they have an idea, run it through this idea model, they're bringing you more baked ideas. And that is creating a lot of efficiency in the, what we call the micro innovation process. And the the practical reality undergirding all of this, all of these tools and strategies is that no one, you can't go find a book, how to, how to lead through a, you know, once in a lifetime pandemic, right? It just, that doesn't exist. I'm writing it. I hope. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) Right. We're all, what's what's the name of your new book? It'll be called remote work, uh, which makes sense. So, but uh, yeah, you're right. As of right now, you are a hundred percent (laughs) right. You know, and, and there are, and I think on some level we are collectively writing this and I'm sure it's, it's awesome getting to tap into all the wisdom that you do. So, you know, the, in order for anybody to make this transition work and, and for some people, this pandemic leadership is not remote work. Uh, one of our clients is in healthcare, and their people are showing up every day. And to the extent uh, in a high-density um, COVID area, and to the extent to where their their leaders are having massive emotional challenges themselves, and their teams mm-hmm. are too. And so their challenge is very different than the remote work challenge. It's the, how do we take care of ourselves and keep ourselves emotionally healthy so that we can keep our teams emotionally healthy. There's so many challenges out there and we need every idea we can get to help our, help our organizations navigate through those successfully. Yeah. And I'd say another really practical thing that we're seeing, and I I think organizations are either doing this really well or really poorly, which is one-on-ones. 
uh, her at the beginning, particularly where you heard so many people frustrated, like my boss has canceled my one-on-one, -on -one, you know, and, and it became very inconsistent where, when they needed that connection even more. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you know, we've been noticing, and this is interesting because we've been hearing from our clients and we wrote an article about six things you need, your, 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 uh, man, your people are yearning for in a one-on-one. -on -one. And we shared these six things with one of our clients who had done an extensive research study within their organization. And they said, we came up with the exact same six things, which is fascinating. But, you know, a couple of them are, you know, first and foremost, show up and mm. don't start talking about the KPIs or the price until you've checked in with me in a genuine way about how I'm doing. And if I tell you how I'm doing, you know, reflect to connect on that, you know, respond to me like, yeah. And then clarity, I have too many things to do. So be really clear about what really matters because I can't pull it all off uh, in many cases. And so help me get that clarity of what I need. Uh, curiosity, show up curious, right? About where, um, how I'm doing, what I need, what ideas I might have to improve the business. You know, so it's those kinds of things. And I think it doesn't have to be long one-on-ones and you don't have to do all six things and within your cadence, you're mixing that in and being deliberate and say, you know what, I haven't been curious in a while, or maybe I really need to focus on the clarity aspect. Um, that can really make a difference. I, I will say I have been advocating for, and almost in a belligerent way, telling people we got to stop having one-on-ones like as a, as a default. Now I'm okay with like, you know, you got to meet with your boss at some certain cadence and companies have their different cadence. And then those things, there are certain things that need to happen, but beyond that, what you're talking about to me about that checking in and having that curiosity and having that moment when you're remote, I think it needs to happen in a group. I think you need mm -hmm. to get three or four people together and you talk about how everyone's doing and let everyone sort of be a part of that and, and connect with everybody and, and come up with solutions and talk about things. And as the leader, I now talk to four people or five people instead of five one-on-ones that just took up half or three quarters of my day. And now I'm going to be working all night just to catch up, which is why they were dropping them, right? Which is why for me, it's nothing worse than like your boss keeps canceling your one-on-one. -on -one, and then that sends a message you're not important, which isn't what probably what they intend. They int It's like, they're so busy and overwhelmed. They can't get to it this week. Um, or this month. So, what what do you what where do you think the balance is? Do you disagree with me? It's I think a it's mix, a mix. Okay? There's certainly things you can absolutely do and should do, and could even be better in a group setting. Yeah. And I also think that there are things that are going on for folks one on one that they are never going to talk about in a group setting, and they're you're lucky if they're even going to tell you as their boss. And so I think it you have to it, you can care for some of it in the group. Yeah. And then to also make sure that one, one person at a time, you're having that connection. It was interesting. We're talking to this really senior sales guy, sales executive. And he said, you know what I was, I was noticing in my group meetings, we all got on Zoom. And because they're salespeople who are used to managing their brand, they were showing up so smiley. And then I had a feeling that they were turning off the Zoom and punching a hole in their wall. <laughs> And yeah. so he said, I noticed, so what I tried to do is I just started picking up the phone and having a voice to voice call, you know, occasionally with each person in addition to that group call. He's like, that's yeah. where I found out what was really going on. Yeah. And that's a great point. Cause I mean, that was why for us, we uh, were cross pollinating the groups, right? Cause you're right. You get all those salespeople together and they're going to be just, yeah, we're, we're doing the best. We're awesome. I'm going to hit all my goals. There's nothing wrong. That's not a chink of my armor at all. There's no problem here. Right. You know, there's no, 
you know, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break here for just a moment. Make sure we all have a moment to uh, stretch our legs or clear our throats or whatever we need to do. But we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly through our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget to subscribe to TalentTalkRadio.com. Go in there and follow us or go to Spotify, go to iTunes, wherever, we, wherever you find your podcast. Make sure you know when the next one is coming up. And when this one goes live, you'll get a little alert for that. We're back with uh, Karen Hurt and David Dye, and we're talking about leadership. We're talking about uh, sort of having a good discussion here on what we're seeing people doing and what we're suggesting. Uh, I do want to make sure we dive into a little bit here uh, about the book that you wrote, um, and I think that's certainly one of the probably the big moments of bringing you two together here as co-authors. Um, so why did you write the book, Courageous Cultures? So we were noticing a real phenomenon as we were going and doing work uh, across a variety of industries. So we would be talking to C-level executives and we would hear things like, you know, why don't more people speak up and share their ideas? Why am I the one who's to stumble around and find this best practice? Why are people bringing me solutions to these problems? Then we would be doing training at the front line of these very same organizations. And we would hear things like, Nobody wants my ideas. The last time I spoke up, I got in trouble. Nothing ever happens anyway. Mm. We thought, are you working in the same company? Yeah. So, you know, most, uh, you know, there's a lot of employees out there who have ideas. And the ideas that they told us that they were holding back were ideas on how to improve a process, how to improve the customer experience or the employee experience. So not trivial ideas. So, and executives really do want to hear them, most of them. And so why was this disconnect, right? So we partnered with the University of North Colorado, a social research lab on a, an extensive study to understand, A, why this was happening, what were the root causes, and the companies that were doing it well, what was different about their leadership and their culture? And so as we explored that gap that we were seeing, one of the other motivations is that we were looking ahead and looking at the trends in work and how things were changing and the increase in artificial intelligence and the gig economy and, and all of the transformative effects that these things are having on the workplace and on leadership and on culture. And what are the organizations, the companies that are going to succeed in this future going to have in common? What, what are the features that need to happen? Because it, it, when your basic routine processes, the things that used to differentiate you with AI, now that's just table stakes, you know, and the more of that, that can be routinized and you can look backwards to see how it was done. Computer can do it faster and better. And where the future lies is in the things that people can do, the creativity, the empathy for customers, the, the you know, figuring out the solutions and sticking points and all of those kinds of opportunities. So with this gap 
And this future, it's critical to solve it. And that's why we wrote Courageous Cultures was to give leaders the roadmap they needed to build teams of micro innovators, problem solvers, and customer advocates. Yeah, I don't think a computer is ever going to learn how to dream, right? And that that idea of dreaming about what something could be like, what it could, what it could do. I mean, it's really the, the the beginning point of I don't know. I mean, how much of science fiction is the beginning point of our science today, right? So, yep. it's, someone had to come up with some some crazy idea. Um, so, then what does it mean to 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 have a courageous culture? Sure. What are, what do they need to do to make that happen? Yeah, our favorite definition of culture in general comes from Seth Godin. So Seth says that uh, he describes culture simply as people like us do things like this. Mm-hmm. And we love that definition. It, it captures and encompasses what culture is. Well, in a courageous culture, people like us raise our hand. We speak up. We say things like, hey, you know who has that answer? I do because I did it in my last job or my cousin does that, just like you were describing earlier. Mm-hmm. There's a courageous culture happening there. People, the expectation is that we're going to speak up with solutions on behalf of the customers to improve processes, employee experience, efficiencies, productivity, and so on. The default, unfortunately, in many organizations is safe silence. And, you know, and there are psychological reasons for that. And there are leadership and cultural reasons for that. Yeah, there's, you know, I have seen so many times and we have to do this in my organizations now, we have to actually install like meetings where we practice that people practice giving their opinions, practice giving bad news, practice dissent, right? Uh, we play games where we, we certain people have to actually be the devil's advocate in a meeting, even though, you know, they may totally agree with the idea. Um, we create fake, we call them, I told you about my cockroach meeting earlier, we have another one called a tsunami planning meeting which is we give them a fake topic. What would happen if, right? And it's their job to come up with a solution or to talk it through. But the real only point of that, other than we get some cool ideas sometimes, is just to practice dissent, just I to see. practice disagreeing with each other. Building the muscle memory. Chris, this is I think you it. have a courageous culture. Maybe we do. Maybe <laughs> we do. I, To be quite honest, I just see an issue and I'm like, okay, what, what thing can we do what lever can we can we pull or what button can we push to change that? Um, as opposed to, I feel like when you say courageous culture, like, you know, I'm some gladiator with a sword and I'm like, we're going to fix this. And I'm like, no, what's what like tiny little psychological trick can we do to get people to stop doing this dumb thing that is, you know, really hurting us? So I don't know if that makes us, that's good it, or not courageous. It or does. Not. And, and here's the thing is when we, when we talk about courage and the courageous culture, there's a paradox involved. And that is that, in a courageous culture, if the norm is for people to speak up and to contribute and to dissent when on behalf of the, the outcomes that we're trying to achieve, if that's the norm, it doesn't take as much individual courage for anybody to do that. Right. But somebody has to go first, and that's the leader's job. You know, and that's what you're doing when you have the vulnerability to say, hey, this can improve, this can be better. So what are some of the things maybe you're seeing uh Maybe, maybe you can kind of explain some of the insights that you have. You mentioned the disconnect between the leader and the groups of people that had the ideas, right? And I sort of meant, I'm gonna, I was immediately imagining a really large company in there with a lot of middle management in, in, in between. And maybe that wasn't the case, but that's what I immediately ma- imagined. So is there a difference between what you're seeing, you know, big corporations doing and what executives are seeing? 
on down to what are small businesses dealing with? Is it the same thing at a different scale? Or you know, they- Chris, what I think is it has been so fascinating and a real sweet spot for this kind of work is the startup that is no longer quite a startup. So at the you know at the beginning and in the, the entrepreneur who started the whole thing's heart is in the right place like they want everyone's ideas. I mean we're seeing that again and again. They have this vision, they're collaborating, they are used to bringing everybody in a room and solving problems together. And then that works great when you're 5 and 10 and 20 people. But when you get to about 100 people, that's where it seems to tip. Because they that that visionary startup um, entrepreneur still wants to behave that way and is still running to every person around and asking for ideas. But there is now a, necessarily a little bit of a hierarchy starting to be in place. And so that that behavior that worked great is now creating a little bit of chaos and frustrating some right. of the people in the middle. So we talk about in courageous cultures, the need for this elegant dance between clarity and curiosity. And, you know, clarity about, you know, where are you headed? What is your vision? And where do you need great ideas? Clarity that you really want ideas. And then curiosity about deliberately going out and asking for those ideas. And, you know, we've been working with some of these smallish but fast growing companies and going out and saying things like, pick the tell, senior executive, tell us the three areas that you really need an idea. And then in in Zoom breakout sessions, we give give each group, small group an idea. And it was interesting because most recently in this, it, they have about about forty five people, forty five people, and they're like the ideas that came out of this session were transformational ideas. I mean, they were product pivots, and I mean, really important things. And you know, the the leader said to us, you know, I used to be able to do this when we were smaller. And now I realize I just need to add a little bit more structure to have the conversations. And on the other hand, you know, the challenges that keep leaders from hearing ideas can exist as soon as you have two people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so even in a two-person company, depending on how clear your thinking is, are you being curious? How are you responding to the ideas that are presented? Uh, You know, in any size organization, there's the opportunity, but the challenges can exist too. And so where you are in your organizational life cycle depend, determines how you're going to structurally address these. And that's the, those are the tools that we give. And so often middle management, they're trying to do their best, but they're filtering on the, uh, as the information's coming up and they're filtering as the information's coming down in a way they think is helpful or whatever, but it can be those ideas are being lost, right? right. Or the clarity that uh, employees need is being lost uh, through that process. I mean, I sort of thought in in some ways that's what when Zappos was sort of doing some of experimenting with their new pro mm-hmm. they were trying to kind of get rid of that this sort of it's got to go through this filter all the time. Um, one of the things I've noticed though is that a lot of times leaders get a little bit possessive of their people, they get a little possessive of their worlds. And like even what you're describing, like if I just bypass that leader and I went right to their some people on their team, they go, whoa, like. You know what? What do you what do you mean? You yeah. talk to my 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 team, you know what I mean? Like, and they weren't there. Like, I, I'm like, yeah, I'm looking for ideas. I asked anybody who wants to be on. The, and then for me, that's like a red flag if they do that. But do you see that? And how should leaders deal with some of that? Yeah, it's. A, I think there's a both and there because, on the one hand, you absolutely want that level of relationship and that openness and so on. And on the other hand, if there's a lack of clarity involved in the organizational structures and systems and how we do things here. 
you can create chaos. Mm-hmm. And we've worked with organizations who have been on the one hand, so uh, stiltified, you know, that's uh, can't get any new ideas because there's no communication and so territorial. And on the other hand, if it's, you know, just the wild west kind of open, then it's very hard to get things done because and so we'd like to say, begin where you aren't. If you have a higher clarity team and organization or department, then go to the curiosity section first and start using some of those tools. If you are good at the curiosity thing and, and so on, and you need a little bit more structure and clarity and sit over and do some clarity. So begin where you aren't is a way to start to immediately taking yourself to that next yeah, level. Yeah, and when you talk about this uh, this territory thing, the one of the most surprising parts of the research for us was that 56% of the people said the reason they weren't sharing ideas is they didn't think they would get credit. Ah, yeah. Right? And it's right. and here's the crazy part, Chris. So back when we were doing, you know, in-person keynotes, so you, you know, be on a stage and you would give that statistic to Wait, a, a stage, a, what's a, that? A, yeah. A thousand <laughs> people, right? You could hear the room, everybody like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh-huh. <laughs> it happened to me, which is, is validating the research, right? That, yeah, that really is an issue for people. And so for leaders, that's really important of how do you, when you respond, also give credit for where the idea came from. Yeah. I mean, you always can tell a great leader when they they show up and say, you know, so-and-so on my team had this idea. And I'm like, okay, that person, I, I'm immediately attracted to that, that leader mm-hmm. because I'm like, they clearly don't have any worries. They're not like, oh, I have to pretend it was my idea so I can keep my job or whatever, right? I mean, the, right. Yep. there's those clear things. And I, I love that, that saying, uh, Dave, that, that start where you aren't. I'm definitely going to steal that. Um, I'll try to give you credit if I remember. No. <laughs> But um, I definitely want to still, because I have, I, I sort of said in a different way, I tell people you should go and do the thing. If you look at, evaluate yourself and if there's something you're not doing well, you should go and focus on that. And I'm always a big advocate to focus on the thing that you're like the most bad at. Um, I have my seven pillars of company culture in my book. And it's very typical for people to say, we're really good at these three or really good at these yeah. four. And I'm like, great, go pick the one that you're the worst at. And I like your, where you aren't is a little bit, a little bit savvier. So, um, but they often will go and they'll do the little thing. This is like the old, what was that old uh, stones, rocks and pebbles or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah, coffee, you know, yeah. and, and people would always are in sand or something. Right? It's like rocks, uh-huh. pebbles, sand. That's what it is. Yeah. And they do spend all their work all day long on sand and, and you can't get the big things done. Right. And so we need to go and do the big things. But those things are hard. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, uh, David, I don't know if you took this from somebody, but when we were thinking about our company, he's like, sometimes you just have to pull the car off the road, but you can't work on the car while it's driving down the highway. And and we had to do that. I mean, last week we had to seriously like, okay, we can't scale anymore doing it the way we're doing it because we're totally exhausted, right? So we're going to have to apply some of our same techniques and tools for us and figure out how do we do this differently? So, and who else do we need to bring on board? Who do we need to hire to do some of the things that, so we can do the work that only we can do, right? And all of that. And I think that's part of it is it's hard to pull the car off the road because there's a lot of work to be done, you know? But I think I can already see just having that conversation, we're working smarter. When you're talking about those cultural big rocks, and I think there's an important distinction, Chris, just for everybody that's listening is when we talk about start where you aren't or address your weaknesses, we're talking about the cultural pillars that Chris was referring to. 
uh, that's different than as a human being, you've got your skills and talents and strengths. And, and, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to ask a fish to climb a tree. I'm going to hire right. a squirrel to climb the tree, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about organizationally in the culture that you're doing. And sometimes you, to address those big rocks, you do have to take a half a day or a day with the right people in the room and have the conversation and say, this is where we want to go. This needs to be an integral part of who we are. We haven't been good at this. Here's the expertise we can bring in. Here's what it's going to look like. Let's talk about how we can get there. Uh, many years ago, when I was trying to figure out what I, where I wanted to go, where I wanted to take the company, just sort of some different things, I was asking a lot of leaders a, a sort of set of similar questions just to kind of get their feedback. And one of the questions I asked them was, should I be concerned about or should I be working on the things that I'm weak at? Because uh, I was really starting to like, there was a this disconnect in my brain about weaknesses. And this is before I really discovered strength finders and all this stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, society kept telling me I need to work on my weaknesses. And leaders kept showing up at these conferences uh, and telling me I should work on my weaknesses. And when I asked them that question, they would say, I always say yes. And then I would ask the follow-up, but what do you do? And they would always tell me, oh, but I, yeah, I don't actually work on my weaknesses. I, you know, I have an assistant for that. I have this other person for that. I do this. Like, why is the whole world telling me I'm supposed to be good at something I'm not good at, or I'm not trained at, or I haven't, have no passion in or whatever, when I can go get great people that can do that. And I can do what I do really well. I I don't know. I don't understand the mindset of why that happens. Right. Why, why, Why do we get that message all the time? I suppose you could dig into uh, the, the cultural <laughs> underpinnings of that, but there's that <laughs> individualistic myth that exists uh, in the Western world anyway, that uh, that you can be, you know, with enough work, you're going to be this perfect version of something. And that's just right. not, none of us are. We all need each other in order to be the very best. Us. And I think you can actually hurt yourself. So like, I'll give you an example. We clearly like you've been on this massive pivot. Everything we used to do pretty much was on, was in person, right? Except for maybe one, one big program. Everything obviously is online now. And as we did that, there is a massive tech lift that has to happen, right? To do it well, you need all the right lights and all the right things and all the tools that, I'm, that's never going to be what I'm good at. Never in a million, never. never in a million years. David happens to be very good at that, right? So I've, I've decided like, I'm not going to get good at it. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I need to learn enough to be, but I need to either have David or, you know, somebody else on our team running the tech for me. Because when I try to give a keynote and run the tech, guess what? My story isn't as good because right. I'm worried about the tech, right? right? And so you're actually doing your customers a disservice by not bringing in the people to, who can free you up to do the work that only you can do. So a shout out to Paul, uh, who <laughs> you know has an amazing beard for those of you that aren't uh, watching yeah. it you know, live. But yeah, absolutely. We've all got those different abilities that we're bringing to the table. And that's leadership and team and talent in a nutshell, right? Is how do we all combine those things to create a better future than we can do independently? So the the lesson here is do what you're passionate about, do what you're strong at. You know, I always feel like I have the confidence that if I wanted to be good at something, I could, but that's different than me wanting, wanting to be good at that thing. Want having the passion around that. So, you know, um, I don't really want to be a gymnast. I could probably like spend all of my days trying to be a gymnastics person, but I don't really want to do that. Right. So, and that's okay. That's not where my passion is. So, but since we do have a married couple here, I will say that there was one 
asterisk, one little caveat to that rule, and that is in your marriage, you do sort of still have to work on things that you're not good at. You can't, you well, can't here, ignore them exclusively. Right. I, I would, I would, there is a principle. And as we're talking, I think this extends from the level of the individual all the way up to organizational culture. And that is that where you want to address what we're going to, in quotes, call weaknesses mm -hmm. is where they are liabilities and they are keeping your strengths from coming to bear and they're keeping all the good things that you have they're, if they're preventing those from coming to bear in a relationship or on a team that's where you want to put the focus on you know so if you've got somebody let's say who is a master uh database manager and just their manipulation of data is insane and they're a pivot table guru and and they cannot communicate with another human being well they need to work on that because the team is not getting the benefit of their data, right? And so they're- oh, we're not putting them on stage either. Yeah, they don't need to be a keynote speaker. <laughs> but we're going to, yeah, we can help them be better communicators, but we, it, the goal isn't to make them a public speaker either. Right. So that makes total, total sense. Well, we're, we're getting down here to the end. I want to make sure we ask our last couple favorite questions. And the first one is, is there a book that you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest people check out? Beyond, of course, we want everyone to check out Courageous Cultures. Uh, beyond that, sure. Uh, I and I, I say when you say our reading, I just finished Call Sign Chaos, which is uh, a fantastic book by uh, uh, General Mattis, who is a former Secretary of Defense, and it's about leadership and the development of his leadership career uh, from the time he was, you know, pre uh, enrolled in the military all the way through uh, the Secretary of Defense role. Just fascinating. So many brilliant leadership insights and takeaways. And the thing that I'm doing right now is reading every single thing that I can get my hand on on the future of work right now. So, you know, every Harvard Business Review article, every past company article related to the topic, oh, who's doing the research? Adam Grant's got some really neat stuff coming out. So just like consuming that because we all are trying to figure this out together. And I'm reading uh, Thinking in Bets, which is a book by Annie Duke, who's a famous uh, poker player. And I just I people kept recommending it and I kept putting it off because she's a poker player. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to read a book about a poker and it's fantastic. And oh, it good. Awesome. And it is, I'm, I'm an idiot for not reading it sooner. And um, it really has some great lessons and it's just fun. And a, a lot of people that are reading it with me are, I've been able to get people who aren't like avid readers to read it because it's a lot, there's a lot of sports in there. There's poker in there. There's a lot of, it's a, mm -hmm. very accessible to anybody. Uh, it's not like in this research paper, 24 <laughs> participants, you know, it's not that it's yeah. not dry. It's, it's really lively, which is great. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully everyone can uh, check out those books. And then the most important question, how can people find you? How can they find out more about you? Where can they find your book? If they want to work with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So our website is let's grow leaders.com. So let's grow leaders. And the book is called Courageous Cultures, How to Build Teams of Micro-Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates. And if you go to our website or to the book website, CourageousCulturesBook.com, you can download a free chapter. You can get a, a free idea incubator guide with some of the tools. So encourage you to at least start there. And you can literally find the book anywhere that books are sold. Well, that's easy. So... Karen and David, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was really fantastic to have you both on at the same time uh, and to see your smiling faces and really appreciate everything that you've walked us through today. Uh, hopefully our listeners got at least one. I know I got 10 or 20 nuggets, but hopefully they got at least one they can take back to their work today. So I'll give you the final word, but thank you so much for, for being here today. Uh, we appreciate it so much. Uh, it's been our pleasure.
Thanks everyone for listening to today's show. Hopefully you gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio brought to you by People G2. 